0: Okay, so last chapter I think is going to be kind of long, so let's just jump right in. So the measures of central tendency are those that describe the middle of the sem- of a sample. Uh, the mean or average of a set of data, or the arithmetic mean, is calculated by adding up all the individual values within the data set and dividing by the number of values. Uh, Having an outlier or an extremely large or extremely small value compared to the other data values can shift the mean toward one end of the range. Excuse me. Uh, A median value for a set of data is its midpoint, where half of the data points are greater than the value and half are smaller. Uh, If it's an odd number of values in a data set, it will actually be one of the data points, and if it's an even number of values, the median will be the mean of two central data points. And the medium tends to be the least susceptible to outliers, but may not be useful for data sets with very large ranges or multiple modes. Right, if the mean and median are far from each other, this implies the presence of outliers or a skewed distribution. If the mean and median are very close, this is a symmetrical distribution. And the mode is the number that appears the most often in the set of data. There might be multiple modes, or if all numbers appear equally, there can be even there can even be no mode. When we examine distributions, the peaks are the note, are the modes, and it's not really used as a measure of central tendency, but the number of modes and their distance from one another are often informative, so if there's two modes with a small number of values between them, then it might be useful to analyze these portions separately or look for other variables that might be responsible for dis- dividing the distribution into two parts. So. Uh, A single statistic is usually not enough for a detailed or relevant analysis, so it's good to look at the overall shape of the distribution and the specifics about how that shape impacts our interpretation of the data. So there are normal distributions. Uh, So this is important because the normal distribution has been solved in the sense that we can transform any normal distribution to a standard distribution with a mean of zero and a standard deviation of one, and then use the newly generated curve to get information about the probability or percentages of populations. The normal distribution is the basis for the bell curve um, seen in many scenarios. So the mean, median, and mode are at the center of the distribution. The 68% of the distribution is within one standard deviation of the mean, and 95% within two, and 99% within three. Distributions are not always symmetrical, so a skewed distribution is one that contains a tail on one side or the other side of the data set. Um, so there is a negatively skewed distribution has a tail on the left with the negative side, and then if it's more susceptible to outliers than the median, the mean of the negatively skewed distribution will be lower than the median, while the mean of a positively skewed distribution will be higher than the median, because it has a tail on the right or the positive side. Uh, so then there's also something called a uh, bimodal, where the distribution has two peaks with a valley in between. So uh, it might only have one mode if the peak is slightly higher, if one peak is slightly higher than the other, but even when the peaks are of two different sizes, we can still call the distribution bimodal. If there's su- sufficient separation of the two peaks or a sufficiently small amount of data within the valley region, bimodal distributions can be analyzed as two separate distributions, but they don't have to be analyzed as that. Um, And then we can talk about the measures of distribution. So there's a range of the data sets, the difference between its largest and the smallest value. They don't consider the number of items of the data set, but or the uh, placement of any measures of ten- central tendency. So it's heavily affected by outliers. And in the cases where it's not possible to calculate the standard deviation for a normal distribution, because the entire data set's not provided, it's possible to approximate as one fourth of the range for the standard deviation. Then there's the interquartile range which is related to the median first and third quartiles, Uh, quartiles including the median divide data when placed in ascending order into groups that comprise one-fourth of the entire set Uh, so the method here is that you calculate the first to calculate the position of the first quartile in a set of data sorted in ascending order multiply n by one-fourth if this is a whole number, the quartile is the mean of the value of at this position and the next highest position. If this is a decimal, round up to the next whole number, and take that as the quartile position. And to calculate the position of the third quartile, multiply the value of n by three fourths. And again, if this is a whole number, take the mean of this position, and the next, if the decimal, then round up to the next whole number, and take that as the quartile position. The interquartile range is then calculated by subtracting the value of the first quartile from the third, and it can be used to determine outliers, and any value that that falls more than 1.5 interquartile ranges below the first quartile or above the third is considered an outlier. Standard deviation is the most informative measure, but it's also the most mathematically laborious. It's relative to the mean of the data. It's calculated by taking the difference between each data point and the mean, squaring this value, dividing the sum of all these squared values by the number of points in the data set, minus 1, and then taking the square root of the result. So it's... uh, Standard deviation is the sigma, and it's the square root of n over the summation of i equals 1 of xi minus Uh, the x with the line over it squared over n minus 1, and that's all square rooted. So xi to xn are the values of all the data set points, and x with the line over it is the mean, and n is the number of data points in the set, and the use of n minus 1 instead of n is mathematically important. But we don't need to know that. Uh, And the standard deviation can also be used to determine whether a data point is an outlier. So if the data point falls more than three standard deviations from the mean, then it's an outlier. And on a normal distribution, approximately 68% sixty-eight percent of data points fall within one SD of the mean, 95% within two, and 99% within three. And then for outliers, uh, they're typically resulting from one of three causes. So a true statistical anomaly. So like a person is over seven feet tall, a measurement error. So you read the centimeter size instead of inches or a distribution that's not approximated by normal distribution. So like a skewed distribution with a long tail. Uh, Outliers found should trigger investigations to determine uh, which of the three causes applies, and if it's measurement, the data point should be excluded, but the other two situations are less clear. If it's the result of a true measurement but not representative of the population, it might be weighted to reflect its rarity, included normally or excluded from the analysis, depending on the purpose of the study and pre selected protocols. And the decision should be made before a study begins, not once the outlier has been found. And when it's an indication that it might not approximate the normal distribution, repeated samples or larger samples will generally demonstrate if this is true. So then we'll talk about probability. So um, we are most interested in independence or dependence, so conceptually independent events have no effect on one another. Uh, If you roll a die and get a 3, then you pick it up and roll it again. The probability of getting a 3 on the second roll is no different than it was before. Dependent events have an impact on one another, so like the order changes the probability. Uh, we are also concerned whether events are mutually exclusive or not, so this applies to outcomes rather than events. Uh, they cannot occur at the same time, so you can't flip both heads and tails in one throw. And then you have to consider if a set of outcomes is exhaustive or not. So a group of outcomes is exhaustive if there's no other possible outcomes. And then for calculations, for independent events, the probability of two or more events occurring at the same time is a prob- is a product of their probabilities alone. So P of A and B is equal to B. Uh, P of A times P of B, Uh, and then the probability of at least one or one of two events occurring is equal to the sum of their initial probabilities minus the probability that they will both occur. So P of A or B is equal to P of A plus P of B minus P of A and B. Uh, So then we'll talk about statistical testing. So Hypothesis testing and confidence intervals allow us to draw conclusions about populations based on our sample data, and they're both interpreted in the context of probabilities and what we deem to be an acceptable risk of error. So hypothesis testing begins with an idea about what may be different between two populations. We have a null hypothesis, which is always a hypothesis of equivalence. The null hypothesis says that two populations are equal or that a single population can be described by a parameter equal to a given value. The alternative hypothesis might be non-directional, so that the populations are not equal, or directional, so that the mean of a population A is greater than the mean of a population B. The the most common hypothesis tests are Z or T tests, which rely on the standard distribution or the closely related T distribution. So from the data collected, a test statistic is calculated and compared to a table to determine the likelihood that that statistic was obtained by random chance, uh, under the assumption that our null hypothesis is true. And this is our p-value. So then we compare our p-value to a significant level, alpha. 0.05 is the most common. And if it's greater than alpha, then we fail to reject the null hypothesis, which means that there's not statistically significant difference between the two populations. And if it's less than alpha, then we reject the null hypothesis and say that there's a statistically significant difference between the two groups the value of alpha is the level of risk that we are willing to accept for incorrectly rejecting the null hypothesis this is called the type 1 error so in other words it's the likelihood that we report a difference between two populations when one does not actually exist a type 2 error occurs when we incorrectly fail to reject the null hypothesis so it's likelihood that we report no difference between two populations when one actually exists. The probability of a type 2 error is sometimes symbolized by beta, and the probability of correctly rejecting a false null hypothesis is referred to as power, and it's equal to 1 minus beta. Uh, so this is like the, reporting a difference between two populations when one actually exists. And then the probability of correctly failing to reject a new, a true new null hypothesis so reporting no difference between two populations when one does not exist is referred to as confidence. Uh, and then confidence intervals are the reverse of hypothesis testing. So with a confidence interval, we determine a range of values from the sample mean and a standard deviation. So instead of finding a p value, we begin with a desired confidence level, so ninety five percent. and we use a table to find its corresponding z or t score. And we find when we multiply the z or t score by the standard deviation and we add subtract this number from the mean, we create a range of values. Um, and then we can then report that we are ninety five percent confident that the true mean um, from which this sample is drawn is between that confidence interval. Okay, and then charts, tables, and graphs. So there's charts. They present information in the visual format and they're frequently used for categorical data. Py or circle charts are used to represent relative amounts of entities and are especially popular in demographics. They might be labeled with raw numerical values or with percent values. The downside is that as the number of represented categories increases the visual representation, loses impact, and becomes confusing. And then there's bar charts and histograms. Uh, They are likely to contain significantly more information than a pie chart for the same amount of page space. Bar charts are used for categorical data where uh, data points are sorted based on predetermined categories, and then bars may then be sorted by increasing or decreasing length. Length of a bar is generally proportional to the value that it represents. So wherever possible, breaks should be avoided in the chart because of the potential to distort the scale. And to that end, um, be wary of graphs that have breaks. They might be enlarging the difference between bars. And then histograms represent Uh, present numerical data rather than discrete categories, and they're particularly useful for determining the mode of a data set because they are used to display the distribution of a data set. Then we have box plots. They're used to show the range, median, quartiles, and outliers for a set of data. It's also, um, when they're labeled, they're called box and whisker plots. They're bounded by Q1 and Q3. Q2 is the median and it's line in the middle of the box, and the ends of the whiskers correspond to the maximum and the minimum values of the data set. And outliers can also be presented as individual points with the ends of the whiskers corresponding to the largest and the smallest values in the data set that are still within 1.5 times the IQR of the median. Uh, Box and whisker plots are useful for comparing data because they have a large amount of data in a small amount of space, and multiple plots can be oriented on a single axis. Then there's maps. You can geographically illustrate data the best map data will examine one or one or at most two pieces of information simultaneously, and then if it's more than that, it might inhibit the clarity. Then we can look at graphs and axes. So, uh, you should be able to attempt to draw rough conclusions immediately from graphs. Uh, look at the axes. So linear graphs look at the relationships between two variables. They involve two direct measurements, and strictly speaking, do not have to be a straight line. The shape of the curve can be linear, parabolic, exponential, or logarithmic. The axes will be consistent in the sense that each unit will occupy the same amount of space, and with bar graphs be wary of the scale and the breaks in the axes, where both the slope or both the shape of the graph and the graph type are linear, we should be able to calculate the slope of the line, which is the change in the y direction divided by the change in the x direction for any two points, and it's represented by m. And then semi-log graphs are a specialized representation of logarithmic data set. They can be easier to interpret because the otherwise curve major of the logarithmic data is made linear by the change in the axis ratio. So one axis maintains the traditional unit spacing for so the x axis and the other assigned spacing based on a ratio. So like 10, 100,000. And the multiples may be of any number as long as there's consistency in the ratio from one point on the axis to the next. And then there is a log-log plot. So when both axes use a constant ratio from point to point, uh, Yep. And then when we interpret tables, you should be able to interpret them quickly. They're more likely to contain disjointed information than either charts or graphs because they have categorical data or experimental results. And if they don't have unusual data values, um, they don't usually have unusual data values. So zeros, outliers, changes in a trend, and so on. Uh, and when a table does contain significant organization It's likely to be relevant for answering questions. And when there's data in the form of a table, you should be able to convert it to a rough graph or to a linear equation. And then we have finally applying data. So correlation refers to a connection, a direct relationship, inverse relationship, or otherwise between data. If two variables trend together, that's like one increases, so does the other, then that's a positive correlation. And if they trend in opposite directions, then there's a negative correlation. And this can be quantified with a correlation coefficient. Uh, which is a number between negative 1 and 1 that represents the strength of the relationship. And if it's positive 1, strong positive, negative 1, strong negative, and a 0 is no apparent relationship. And of course, correlation does not imply causation. Um, And yeah. We should also be able to draw connections to other concepts in science and our background knowledge. So... Yeah, we must develop a plausible rationale, we must make decisions about our impact on the real world and whether our evidence is substantial and impactful enough to necessitate changes in understanding or policy. Okay, time to go over our concept summary, hopefully in the next three minutes. Uh, So measures of central tendency provide a single value representation for the middle of a group of data. The arithmetic mean or average is a measure of central tendency that equally weighs all values. It's most affected by outliers. Median is the value that lies in the middle of the data set. 50% of the data points are above and below. And the mode is the data point that appears the most often, and there might be multiple or zero of them. Distributions have characteristic features that exemplify why they're shaped and they can be classified by measures of potential tendency and measures of distribution. A normal distribution is symmetrical. The mean, median, and mode are all the same same in the normal distribution and the standard distribution is a normal distribution but with a mean of 0 and a standard deviation of 1 and it's used for most calculations. 68% of data points occur within 1 sd of the mean and 95% within 2 and 99% within 3. Skewed distributions have differences in their mean, median, and mode. The skewed direction is the direction of the tail of the distribution and bimodal distributions have multiple peaks, although not necessarily multiple modes. It might be useful to, pre- to perform data analysis on the two groups separately. Range is the difference between the largest and smallest values in a data set, so IQL is the difference between the value of the third quartile and the first, and it can be used to determine outliers. Standard deviation is the measurement of the variability about the mean, and it can be used to determine outliers. And outliers might be a result of true population variability, measurement error, or a non normal distribution. And procedures for handling them should be formulated before the beginning of the study. Probability of independent events does not change based on the outcomes of the other events, and the dependent event changes depending on the outcomes of the other events, and mutually exclusive outcomes cannot occur simultaneously, and when a set of outcomes is exhaustive, there are no other possible outcomes. Hypothesis tests use a known distribution to determine whether a hypothesis of no difference or the null hypothesis can be rejected. Whether or not a finding is statistically significant is determined by the comparison of a p-value to the selected significance level, alpha. And it's commonly 0.05. And then confidence intervals are a range of values about a sample mean that are used to estimate the population mean. Wider interval is associated with a higher confidence level, so 95%. And then pie charts or circle charts and bar charts are used to compare categorical data. Histograms and box plots or box and whisker plots are both used to compare numerical data, maps. Compare up the two demographic indicators. Linear, semi log, and log log can be distinguished by their axes, and slope can be calculated most easily from linear plots. And tables might contain related or unrelated categorical data. And then correlation and causation are separate concepts that are linked by Hill's criteria. Data must be interpreted in the context of the current hypothesis and existing scientific knowledge. And statistical and practical significance are distinct. So we finished. I hope that wasn't loud. But thanks for listening to physics and math. We did it. Uh, I think next is going to be bio and last is going to be biochem. I don't know if I'm going to read the CARS review, but we'll see if I have time. Bye.